Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we continue through 1 Corinthians to focus on the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that truth becomes the linchpin for our faith and hope of eternal life as well as the single greatest proof for an argument as to why we ought to live as fearless believers willing to go make disciples, committed to our local churches, and setting our sights on satisfaction in Christ alone and not the things of this world. Thanks for listening. So I know you'll find it hard to believe, but when I was a child, I was a little mischievous. And uh, this could be uh, exacerbated by uh, peer pressure. So one of the troubles that I had as a young person was always kind of wanting to be the class clown. You know, always the one who wanted a little bit of attention. So I see some of you nodding like we see that. We knew that. That's right. Uh, There was one time uh, starting in high school where my teacher left the room at the beginning of the period. He just left and uh, didn't indicate when he would come back. And so, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And so little by little, we started to, you know, talk to our neighbors. And we should have been reading our algebra books. But instead, you know, then then one thing would lead to another. And then some kids would get up and you would uh, be over by this person's desk and then pretty soon someone's tossing a spitball right and then you're kind of yelling to the back of the room and you can kind of see how this escalates right and the whole time I sat there just dutifully and and, and like a little angel um uh, that's not true my my friends uh talked me into making a paper airplane that we would then fly across the room and I, I may have told this story before, but it's because it really was traumatic for me. And uh, then they said, you should, you should get up in front of the class. Come on, Ryan. Let's go on. You bet you can't do it. You're afraid. And I ain't afraid. And yeah, so I, I got up in the front of the room and uh, one said, uh, see if you can throw it, uh, throw it at the door. So I took the paper airplane. And I think the person was in the back and they heard the footsteps of the teacher coming, but I did not hear this at all. So in my stupidity and listening to their uh, advice, I uh, let the airplane go. And as soon as it left my hands, the door opened and the whole world turned to slow motion. And I watched the plane come as that door came and I could see it was my teacher and my eyes began to get bigger until the last second the tip of the plane hit the back of the door and it just went behind instead of hitting my teacher square in the head but there I was in the front of the room standing like this frozen um fortunately he had more important matters to worry about and the the foolishness of one student wasn't a problem but I look back at that and I just think boy how impressionable I was right how easily it I was able to rebel against what I should have been doing. I, I really should have conducted myself in accordance with what was expected, but how very easily was I led astray? And it reminds me this morning of how very easily all of us can be led astray by placing people and institutions and, and teachings over our lives in a way that's authoritative beyond where we should believe and where we should find ourselves conducting our behavior and our actions. This message is on the resurrection, but really it's a message calling the church back to the authority of God's word alone. I have to say that again. Everybody hear me? The authority of God's word alone. 
Now, you and I have been born into a world where there are many competing authorities. I already mentioned the one by Rene Descartes, right? I think, therefore I am. And that one line has entered into the entirety of Western thinking that has affected how the church thinks about things. So why we need to focus on the truth of the resurrection back to the authority of God's word alone. There was another philosophy that came out during that same time period. It goes by the name of naturalism. You may have heard that before. Naturalism. It's a philosophy that that which we can only taste and test and see and and sense with our five senses is true. And if I can't deduce it according to the rules of the scientific method, then I don't believe it. If it can't be proven true by science, then it's not true. It's called naturalism. Uh, The church in the early 20th century and, and late 19th century Uh, They adopted that philosophy, but they didn't call it naturalism. I don't want to lose you here. Everybody with me? All right, this is a little bit heady right now. I'm going to bring it it down in a a minute. But uh, they adopted something that's called Christian liberalism or Protestant liberalism. Uh, They said, you you know what, that that seems to be accurate. That seems to be true that uh, unless I can't test it, if it breaks the rules of testable, repeatable, natural patterns, then we really ought to be careful claiming it as truth. This is what uh, many, many churches came to adopt. In fact, there's one denomination that says this, when you look at nature and, and, and examine the created world, as a Christian, if you were to make a claim about it, they say that if something is claimed about nature that's contrary to human reason... And experience, but supposedly from Scripture, it must be avoided. Church, I'd like to declare to you that that is problematic. That it's calling the people of God to place their footing on two foundations. God's word and man's word. Now what happens when you have your feet on two different foundations? Can you stand strong? No, you, you, you shift with the one because what happens to man's word? Does it stay the same forever, always, never changes? Man's word's constantly changing. And this is a major problem for the church. Uh, there was uh, in the 20th century, uh, um, well, the dictator in um, Germany, Adolf Hitler, would say this phrase, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. I had a history teacher that used to tell me this in high school, right? Tell a lie loud enough, he'd say, and long enough. That's the way he repeated it, right? Loud enough and long enough. And if you do that, you do that long enough, guess what people will do? They'll believe it. And they don't even know why they believe it. They're just going to believe it. So what about the resurrection? When's the last time you saw a dead person come back to life? Does that happen naturally? Is this the way the world tends to go? No, those who belong to this Protestant liberalism, uh, there's three things they tend to reject. Number one, that God created the world. They don't believe that. Uh, Secondly, that Jesus was conceived by a virgin birth. Come on, that don't happen, right? And then thirdly, the resurrection uh, never happened either. All of those uh, positions are recent Movements that have infiltrated your church. The early apostles understood that we have to have something that's derived not from man's word, but from God's word alone. And in fact, if, here, do me a favor. Find your green hymnals real quick. 
Because what they did is they boiled down the teaching of God's word to a very succinct creed in a creedal form. And we're going to look at this later in the summer. We're going to do a whole series understanding the creeds. Turn to the very back, back page right here. And I want you to see how the early apostles, without even knowing where we would end up in the 21st century, how they already provided an answer for the question of, did God create the world? Was Jesus born of a virgin? And did he rise from the dead? Let's, uh, am I getting a little shouty? A little preachy this morning. Woo. Fired up on this. All right, so let's, uh, let's all read this together. This is the top one. It says, Affirmation of Faith, the Apostles' Creed. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and... Time out. Where, what is God? Maker of heaven and earth. Let's continue. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Time out. How was he born? Of the Virgin Mary. Let's continue. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. Time out. What did he do? He rose again. And this continues. But this is as ancient as we can get with the creed. The apostles would say that unless you confess these things, guess what you're not? You call yourself a lot of things, but you can't call yourself a Christian. Because a Christian has to hold to historical evidential facts that inform our faith. Uh, I I feel like I'm kind of hitting a dead horse and I'm going to run the clock out if I keep going on this, so I really need to move ahead. But the title of this message is The Resurrection of the Dead. You'll notice it doesn't say the resurrection of Christ. This is the resurrection of the dead. So think of any loved one who you've lost. Anyone who's passed away. This is a message that will speak to the truth of God's word that they will one day be raised from the dead and that that is our ultimate hope as Christians, that we too will one day be raised from the dead. In order to look through this, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians, which you have um, on the back of your sermon notes. We start in it, but we're going to kind of pick up after this. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 12. That's page 1789 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to read to verse 34 and just work through uh, what Paul lays out. Paul, Paul's making an argument, all right? So I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best to, as quickly and efficiently this morning as I can, show you his argument. That's our plan for the remainder of our time. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. But if it's preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead... Oh, has not. Did I put a knot in there? Sorry. But if, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. All right, everybody do take a big sigh. Go, okay, all right. So now watch what he says, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it's clear that this this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. So if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, as surely as the glory over you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, look at this. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So the church in Corinth had people who didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, Paul gives the reason for this as, did you catch it? Bad company corrupts good character or good morals. So they they were allowing there to be others who were educating them. They were being influenced, right? It was that peer pressure, right? Do it and don't believe that, right? This was going on in Corinth. And he says here at the end, some of you are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So I'm just explaining right now as your pastor, I take that very seriously. I don't want it to ever be said anybody under the sound of my teaching is ignorant of this sort of thing. I have to teach on it. And so let's walk through a little bit. His first uh, line of reasoning here is this, that uh, if there is no resurrection, what then? Well, then guess where Jesus is? Yeah, if the resurrection of dead in the future is not a thing that happens, guess where Jesus is? He's dead. He's still in the tomb. He's dead and dead and he's dead and he's dead. That's it. Look what Paul writes here to the Thessalonians. Brothers, we do not, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Right? There is no resurrection. They're gone and they're lost forever. But look what he says. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So this is Paul's argument. He says that if Christ hasn't been raised, here are some consequences. Number one is this. He says preaching is useless. Uh, The preaching here isn't just talking. It's the proclamation of salvation by grace through faith. He's saying that preaching is useless. Look what he says here. I quoted in 15 verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Secondly is this. He says, faith is futile. 
Uh, you might uh, write in the margin of your Bible, pointless. It doesn't work. It's like having a, a dead battery on a, on, a, uh, on a car. Just ain't nothing there. I don't know why you're still turning the crank. It ain't ever going to run. It's useless. It's futile. Look what he says in 14 and 17. And if Christ has not been raised, not only is preaching useless, but so is your faith. And in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, he says your faith is futile. Third is this. Uh, Christians now are turned into liars, of which I guess I'm the loudest. So uh, that's what we are. That's what you are. If Jesus is dead, then we are liars. Here's what he says in verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Why? Because we've testified that God raised him from the dead. But if he did not raise him, then the dead are not raised. So Christians are liars. Fourthly is this, and this is where it starts to get really bad. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. If you're still in your sins, what does that mean for you when you die? There is no hope for you when you die if you are still in your sins, which is what Paul says in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So you, you, better, uh, you better adopt a different kind of philosophy of religion if this is true. Like uh, something that tells you to work better on yourself. Become a better person. Right? You just need to look inward and, and pay attention to society. And, and that's the direction you really should head if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Uh, you, are, you and I are still in our sins, so you, you need to polish your own shoes. You, you need to polish your own life. I was washing my truck the other day, and um, I used soap. Shocking. You know, if you don't use water and soap, I mean, if I just stood up there with a brush and just scrubbed the mud into it, yeah, looks good, right? What am I doing? If, if, if all that gunk is still there, I can move it around all day long and it's still filthy. If there's no resurrection, you, your gunk in your life, you can shuffle it all around, but it's still there. You need the detergent of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash it away clean. And the only way that works is by the resurrection. So you and I are still in our sins. Number five, your loved ones who have died are lost for good. They're gone forever. This is exactly what he says. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism here, meaning having died, it's a way of softening that term. Um, it says that they are what? They're lost. They're gone. Sorry to tell you. If Jesus is in the grave, so are they. And you have no hope. Uh, sixthly and lastly, he says, Christians then, and this is my own translation, are the most pathetic. And we really are. Because you can look outside the church and find men and women who are accomplishing it by their own merit. I mean, just, wow, right? And they, they got problems, but, you know, they don't need that crutch of church and religion. And, like, yeah, if we come confessing that we're in need of a Savior... Guys, you're the most pathetic. You're the saddest people on earth. That's what we are. If there is no resurrection. But if there is a resurrection, well, then we have hope that they know nothing of. We have strength and peace and power they know nothing of. So do you see how this is kind of the linchpin? This is the key issue. Uh, we were on one of the last snowfalls. We got the kids out. My sister was up over Easter. We got the snowmobile out again, and we hooked up the big sled on the back with the trailer. But I didn't have a, I didn't have a pin. You know, you guys know trailers. You got to put a, a cotter pin in there to hold it to the back of the thing that's towing it. 
And so if you use a piece of rope, it'll break, so don't do that. <laughs> that point, that point right there, that pin is the resurrection. If you take away the resurrection, you can have God all day long, but you ain't going anywhere. You're stuck. You're dead in your sins. Everybody who's died is lost. God's far away from you. And you and I, we have no hope in the world. This issue, the resurrection, is the cotter pin that holds our faith in unity together. This is what he says in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. That's what Paul says. So this, uh, this is kind of the bad news. Um, I have in my notes here then, I ask the question, so why, why should we believe in the resurrection then? Why is this we should believe in? Now my first thing to tell you is because it's historically true, because it happened. But there's a bigger reason. And Paul lays it out as he continues in verse 20. Look, at, look with me again in the Bible. Verse 20 he says, But Christ has indeed been raised as the first fruits. Do you know what that term means, first fruits? If you're a farmer, you know what it means, right? What's the first fruits? That, that's, that's everything that ripened first, right? And you go and you pick those first. We're not there yet. We are still on the tree needing to be ripened. That's where you and I are. But Jesus fully blossomed and ripened first fruits of resurrection. He and his body in the manner of his resurrection is what you and I have to look forward to. It's the end of this that's really important, though. Look at verse 26. He said, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Boy, that's going to be awesome, isn't it? There's no more death. The book of Revelation says that the new heaven and the new earth, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no more death. The wages of sin is death. As God eradicates death, he has done away with sin. And the resurrection life in this new heaven and the new earth is one like it was in the garden where you and I can commune with God in harmony with one another without sin, without temptation. That's, by the way, next Sunday's sermon. We're going to look more in depth on that. But it's going to be amazing. But I want you to see it. It's still not the end of it. Look where Paul continues with this. Go with me just a little bit further. Verse 28. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that, look at this, God may be all in all. The reason that you and I hold to the fact of the resurrection is because that pin itself brings glory to God. That's why we hold to it. This is something that God is going to do on our behalf. And if he's the ruler, if he's in charge, if, if he's the guy that set all things up, listen, listen to me now. You and I got to be very careful that we're not, we're not allowing ourselves to listen to people saying, hey, make a paper airplane and throw it at the... As if... As if the authority is never returning. You see what I mean? Men and society and philosophy, the teachings and the principles of this world, they are carrying on as if there ain't no teachers coming back. And we can say whatever we want, make heads and tails of it to our suiting. We will recreate God in our image. That's what our world today is doing. And all of you here, without knowing it, have been indoctrinated by it. You've been taught it through the school system. You've been taught it by watching television. It's, it is the world that we live in. And so my calling to you today is to be very careful how much of that you allow to infiltrate your mind. 
Paul says in the book of, the, book of Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the likeness of the world, but be transformed in your mind by the renewing of your mind. So here are some consequences, and I'm going to wrap this up. Here's the conclusion. Uh, if there is no resurrection, I'm in verse 29, by the way, right now. He says, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? This isn't some foolishness about going through baptism for dead people. What Paul is saying here is that there are Christians who become Christians, get baptized. That's what he means. He's saying they get baptized, meaning they come to the faith because their grandma and their mother and their loved ones were in the faith and they've died. And they, they want to see them again. They long to see them again. They, do you want to see your loved ones again? Do you want to see your family members who have passed away? Yeah. Well, guess what? Your only hope for that is becoming a Christian. That's your only hope for that. So this is what he says. He says, why, why become a Christian? Why get baptized as a Christian? And, and the world speaks to you and I today. It says, yeah, that's right. Free yourself from, from religion. All the, all the rules. You got to sit here and listen to this pastor for 40 minutes. Why do you free yourself from that. If there is no resurrection, why go through it? Look, look at the next thing that Paul says here. Uh, verse 30. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Right? So why risk your life for the gospel, he says. He makes a point of talking about the wild beasts in verse 32, right, in Ephesus. He's facing wild beasts. Those who are in charge are throwing them into the Colosseum against lions and tigers and bears. Oh my why risk your life? So the world says, yeah, don't go. Don't evangelize. Don't worry about making disciples. Too hard anyways. You're flying on the plane. Don't bother the guy next to you, right? Don't, don't risk yourself going to those countries where they uh, murder Christians, where there's persecution going on. You really shouldn't. There's no reason to do that. That's exactly Paul's argument here as well. Why do you risk your life? If, there, if there's no resurrection, why go at all? And then thirdly, why sacrifice material possessions? And uh, you might add in here comfort, satisfaction. Look what he says at the end of verse 32. Um, if, for, if he did this for just merely human reasons, what have he gained? Because if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Hurry up, preacher. Finish up this message so we can eat and drink for tomorrow. We but look, if the resurrection is real... We need to reframe our thinking around it. And this is the challenge that I want to give you for application. Number one is this. Bad company corrupts good character. I, I encourage you to come on Wednesday to Bible study. Uh, the, the schools and, and, and our country's form of education propagates a religion that teaches everything comes from nothing. How much glory does that bring God? Everything comes from nothing. This is what you were taught. This is what your children are taught. Please come out on Wednesday and let's evaluate what the Bible has to say in relation to what you and I have already confessed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Bad company corrupts good character. I, I got in trouble uh, in, in uh, ninth grade because I was influenced by the kids around me. And I acted without care for those who were in authority. I believed instead the peers who were on my level. Church, God is your authority. He has revealed himself in his word. 
And so I just threw a bunch of questions up here that I want to encourage you to just think through. I, you need to answer these. They, they could stay tucked away in your Bible, or you could try to answer these. Who, what, where, when, why, right? What, who influences where you find truth? What, what do you believe to be true? What's authoritative for what you believe? Where is the source of your information? When did it become easy for you to start believing lies? And why do you listen to who you listen to? The world around you is going to follow after their pattern and paradigm. Church, God calls us to listen to him. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning.